Initially, we were focused primarily on the childhood sexual abuse because that's my wife's story. She was abused from age nine to 18, uh, raped and molested by her father, who was a pastor at the time. You know, within the Protestant church with so many different denominations, I feel like we are so quick to point the finger at the Catholic church and we should be pointing out the, the junk of the garbage, but there's so little consideration for the unbelievable amount of, of sexual abuse of children, abuse of, of vulnerable people, wives, women, um, and others within the, within the non-Catholic church. Churches and people wind up having to make a choice. Either I'm gonna support the offender and rally around the offender, or I'm gonna rally around the abuse victim and take a stand at what the offender has done and, and that puts them in a very uncomfortable position. And what often happens is the church rallies around the offender. We need to talk about sex abuse of children and domestic violence from the pulpit so that people in the pews feel like, if this is going on, I can say something to the pastor about it. I can talk to some people about it. It's that silence and that secrecy that keeps victims imprisoned in a, in a cell that they stay in their whole life because they're never comfortable or feel like it's safe to share their story. everybody. Thank you again for, and welcome to another podcast for Love and Truth Network. You're going to notice right out of the bat that we are not in the same location where I usually do my podcast from. We're having a great time here at the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference and really excited actually to be joined by my brother Dale. Uh, he is five years older than me and he's the one whenever, if you've heard me speak in the past or talk about uh, my my siblings, he's the one sibling that did not give my parents much of a run for their money. He was always the good kid and uh, has been a pastor for many years. And it's just exciting to be able to be here with him. Uh, he and his wife, I'll, I'll let them share about, let him share about what they're here for and what they're exhibiting here at the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference. Yeah, so I just thought it would be fun to do several different podcasts here from the conference and we'll see how all that goes. So Dale, thank you so much for being here with us thank and you. just being a part of this podcast. Thank you. It's cool to be doing a podcast with my little brother. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, so what brings you and Faith uh, here to this conference? What are you guys doing with your ministry? So our ministry is Speaking Truth and Love Ministries, and it deals primarily with childhood sexual abuse as well as domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And I've been a pastor since 1983, so 40 years now. But we started our ministry dealing with abuse back in uh, in 2007 is when we were talking about it. Same time you guys yeah. were starting your ministry. We did our first conference in February of 2008. Initially, we were focused primarily on the childhood sexual abuse because that's my wife's story. She was abused from age 9 to 18, uh, raped and molested mm -hmm. by her father, who was a pastor at the time. Yes. And so our emphasis was on the sexual abuse of children. 
Since then, we do a lot with domestic violence because the, both issues are so intertwined that we often find the same settings where you have sex abuse, you have a lot of domestic violence. So all of that kind of plays together and it even intertwines with your ministry right. and kind of what you do. Right. Yep. It's so needed. And, you know, oftentimes it seems as difficult as our ministry can be in dealing with sexual brokenness and yes. more importantly, not just dealing with sexual brokenness, but restoring sexual wholeness uh, when it comes to pornography addiction, when it comes to sex before marriage, when yes. it comes to adultery and other, uh, even, even emotional affairs and just getting wrapped up in really relationally idolatrous relationships yes. that oftentimes then, uh, move beyond the emotional and into uh, the sexual, the physical. And, you know, those are tough topics. The church yes. doesn't, not, has historically not dealt with them well. Right. Um, but then when you talk about the abuse of children, I think that there's, on the one hand, I would think that churches would, would have wide open arms to your yeah. message and your ministry. And yet in some ways, I know, I, I think from our conversations yes. that you've experienced a lot of churches being walled off to what you're offering and what you're doing to really support children and to help help even the church deal with these really difficult issues. It is, they are interesting dynamics because clearly what you do and what we do, they are very complex, they're very difficult. The one thing that I noticed like over the years, you would hear references to the same sex attraction and other things, maybe not good teaching on it, but references to it. Yeah. The, the childhood sexual abuse and even domestic violence, um, the thought of a, of a husband who beats his wife or even rapes his wife. Yes. It, it's, it's so foreign to even talking about. And we spoke in a church here in Tennessee last Sunday, and you could tell by the reaction of folks that it had never been talked about in church before, but we had a wonderful reception. The pastor welcomed us there. The yep. folks welcomed us. I think people are hungry in a lot of ways to hear about it. I think it's scary for church leadership. Yes. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of abusers within the church. And in, in, in Faith Stad's case, he was a pastor. Yep. So... Wasn't he also like a chaplain of the hospital fire station? I mean, he, yes. he extended quite a ways out beyond the he church. Did. Yeah. He did. He was a chaplain on the local fire department. He was in hospitals frequently. So there's, I think sometimes church leadership, because it hits close to home, they don't want to deal with it. I think a big reason they don't want to deal with it, they they know it could open a can of worms. So whether it's a Christian college, maybe, they may have a, um, you know, a mega donor that that might be involved in this stuff. Uh, churches may have people that that give a, a great deal of money to right. them. And so there's a real reluctance sometimes to really call offenders out and and be there for the victims. And what happens is. Churches and people wind up having to make a choice. Either I'm going to support the offender and rally around the offender, yep. or I'm going to rally around the abuse victim and take a stand at what the offender has done. And, and that puts them in a very uncomfortable position. And what often happens is the church rallies around the offender. When we go to court with a victim to just be there to support them, mm -hmm. 
We were just in Virginia a few weeks ago, a, a beautiful 10-year-old girl, sexually abused by her grandfather. Mm. He was high up in the church, and the church has rejected this little girl and her parents because yeah. they're holding him accountable. And um, they expect that there will be a large group from the church there to support the offender. And we're going to do the best we can to be there for yes. the victim. yes. Yeah, it's just shocking to me when that happens. And I know it's shocking. And yet I know the stories all too often that it seems like that happens more often than not. Yes. And then and then in the um, so there's, there's several questions that come to my mind. Let me just ask one to start with. I think one of the issues that the church is confused about a lot and doesn't really communicate as well as it could, to be sure, is on the topic of forgiveness. Yes. Um, and then in, in the way that forgiveness is oftentimes confused with restoration. Yes. But but even if even if a church understands the difference between forgiveness, and like those are two separate things. Right. And sometimes we can forgive somebody and not be restored to them because they're not safe to be correct. restored to. Right. That's correct. Um, but but even if restoration isn't a part of it, I think sometimes on the topic, especially of abuse, forgiveness is communicated in ways that are not helpful. What, what are your thoughts about that, that topic of forgiveness? Yeah, the, the forgiveness in that, in that topic when it comes to sex abuse, it's a bit like wading into the quicksand and you can, get, you can really get mired in it. We need to forgive. Yep. Um, one of the things that I, that I try to do to help make it clear is I go back to David. Okay, so David rapes Bathsheba. Yeah. He has her husband killed, and God lets him go for almost a year because the child that he has with Bathsheba is born, so it's almost a year before Nathan yes. the prophet confronts him. And I, I love the way Nathan confronts him. He tells him a story. Yeah. He draws David into it. David is outraged um, at the story. And, and when Nathan gets done telling it, David said, that guy's going to die and he's going to pay fourfold yeah. for what he did. And then Nathan says, you're the guy. And in that moment of time, for the first time, I think David saw the wickedness of what he had done. He says, I've sinned. And Nathan says, God's forgiven you. But because of what you've done, the sword will never depart from mm, your house yes and i think there's a distinction between we can forgive and and it's important to forgive but forgiveness is going to be a process what often happens is the church tries to force victims to forgive and shut up yes and that is not what forgiveness is and the other thing is and we hear this a lot um you need to forgive and never speak about this mm -hmm. again yeah again that's not biblical it's untrue forgiveness is a letting go and um, putting the offender in God's hands. That does not mean that there's not going to be consequences and shouldn't be consequences for the offender. Right. So pursuing justice, you can pursue justice and forgive at the same time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that looks a little awkward. Sometimes it's kind of messy and you figure out how does this work. Right. But true forgiveness can happen. And still hold this person accountable because, and I think this is the biggest mistake that we make in the church, is we treat the sexual abuse of a child or a vulnerable person only as a sin. 
It is an egregious sin, but is also a very violent crime. And great harm has been done. Yep. And God gives us the mandate in Revelation chapter 13, the first five verses, that government is there to punish those who do evil. And twice in that passage, God calls government his minister to execute vengeance on those who practice evil. So I think we make a mistake when we make forgiveness mean more than it does by trying to tuck in there restoration like you just talked about because in most cases where there's been childhood sexual abuse it's not safe to reconcile with their offender mm -hmm. and yet oftentimes the church tries to do that yes yeah and i think also as you're talking i'm also reminded of the fact that simply so-called quote-unquote supporting uh somebody who has been the offender is actually not loving them well either yeah right so can you speak to that this sloppy we often talk about sloppy love sloppy grace yes. in context of our ministry of um not really calling people to genuine repentance for the sake of their own soul for the sake of their uh, of their betterment and their walk with christ how, how what do you think about the offender a sexual offender um or an abuser um yes. being what does it mean to love them well? So that is an excellent question. And what I do with that is I go back to Faith's dad and his story and Faith's story and my story. Mm -hmm. So Faith and I met in Bible college just before we were engaged. Faith was able to tell me that her dad had sexually abused her. My first reaction was, I don't want anything to do with him. And Faith said, well, we have to love and forgive. So... That conversation, I think that's an exact quote that happened between the two of us. So we're yep. trying to, okay, what does that look like? Yep. So up until 2006, if you would have asked me about her father, I would say that we had chosen to love and forgive him. Mm -hmm. What I tell people now is what we did was nothing. And there's a big difference. Yes. So I never confronted him. It's a great way of describing it. With what he had done to faith. And give him a chance to repent, uh, give him a chance to realize he's in big trouble unless he gets things right with God. So we really did nothing, but we called it love and forgiveness. It, it may have felt like love and forgiveness because um, at that point we weren't, I, it never once crossed my mind to turn him into the authorities. And we actually could have for about a year with the statute limitations in New York. Yep. Never crossed my mind because we had no teaching on it. But in 2006, in November, Faith's dad abused one of his son's foster daughters. Mm -hmm. I went with two of Faith's brothers to confront him for the first time. And I sat down with Faith before that meeting. And I said, I'm going to confront dad with what he did to you so long ago. I need to know a little bit more. And that's yep. what I found out he had raped and molested her from the time she was nine until 18. Mm -hmm. And so I confronted him with it that night and he was, you know, blamed everybody else. It wasn't his fault. When we walked in the room, face dad sat there on the couch with his, his left hand on an open Bible. And before we could say anything, he started talking about everything God was teaching him and he was learning all this stuff. And the message he was trying to give us that, Hey, I've already got everything right with God. We don't, you know, we don't need to get into yep. anything. So 
what would have been loving, the most loving to dad is what I did that night. And I told him, I said, we forgave you. And I said, I've always called you dad. And I will still call you dad. And I do to this day. He mm -hmm. died a few years ago. I'm convinced he's in hell today, not in heaven. Even though he was a pastor, he could share the gospel message. The pattern of his whole life was one of molesting and raping children and vulnerable adults. We've learned a lot more over mm -hmm. the years. And I believe he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. But where he is right now, obviously God knows. But the point is that night I said, if you'll make a full confession of what you not only did to your son's foster daughter, but now we knew about not just faith, but we knew about other victims at that point. I said, you've got to deal with that. Yep. I said, if you choose to deal with that, we will, we will stay with you. If you don't do that, then we're going to do what the Bible says. We're going to hold you accountable and we're going to break off all fellowship with you, which is what we did. We were at the hospital the day he died uh, we did not go to the bedside. We were there mainly to be with the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. But back to your original point about it's not loving for the offender. In the book that I wrote, Tear Down This Wall of Silence, one of the things that I point out with Face Dad, there are a lot of people in our church, even seniors that he did Bible studies with, that were angry with us because we were holding him accountable. Right. And in the book, I point out the fact that what they're doing is holding his hand on the way to hell. They're not helping him. Yep. And you can love an offender. I mean, offenders, they're somebody's son or somebody's daughter. Yep. Um, and oftentimes, they're, you know, husband. It could be a wife. I mean, we're hearing more and more about women users. We can love them. We can minister to them. But trying to protect them from the consequences of what they've right. done isn't going to help them. No, absolutely not. And when you talk about um, the idea that that from your perspective, um, knowing knowing that you don't know ultimately, but that he could be in hell today, yes. maybe likely is in hell today. Um, can you expound a little bit of, about that in terms of? Uh, I mean, I, I believe from knowing you a little bit and you obviously and knowing your theology a bit that it's it's it would be the idea that you said wolf in sheep's clothing. So not this idea that he lost his salvation, Correct. but rather Correct. that maybe he was in this religiosity or this um, this cultural Christianity uh, and, and had grown up in that or had been in it for a while, but never really came to a point of genuine surrender because there's there's fruit in keeping with genuine surrender. Yes. Right. Yes, and I think, so if we go back to David for a minute, and if we draw a comparison, let's say, between David and, let's say, an abuser today. The thing with David was, clearly, he was a man after God's own heart. From the time he was a little child, all the way up until he's king, he's a man after God's own heart. Yep. Near the end of his life, as he's getting older, um, he does you know, some horrible things there that surrounded the issue with Bathsheba and Uriah. And the difference between David is when David's confronted, he repents. He bore the consequences of what he did. And if we take the passage in Hebrews and we bring that into play, where Hebrews talks about if you can sin habitually and not feel God's chastening hand, the Bible says that you're an illegitimate child. Mm -hmm. So you're not really a believer. 
with with Facetad and with a lot of offenders, this behavior goes all the way back in many cases to childhood. And when a child is an abuser, it's almost always because they've been abused. Yes. And so they act out. As the child gets older and, and they're transitioning from being a child to an adult, there comes a point where they realize what I'm doing is wrong. Yes. When they choose to continue the behavior, I think their conscience becomes more seared and more hardened. And it's very difficult for a sex offender who's taken that behavior into an adulthood. I'm not saying it's impossible because we got a verse that says we've got all things are possible. Yes, yes. But when you carry that behavior over, it's very difficult. And I think with the Bible verse that talks about illegitimate children, when it's this pattern in your life, mm -hmm. I think that's the big difference. Okay. Yep. Do you think also that, um, like growing up in, in Baptist churches, in uh, some non-denominational yes. churches, it seemed like I even remember when we were, we went to the Bible college that or Bible school that we both went to. I remember there was a time when Billy Graham, I think it was, had shaken hand with the Pope on stage yes. somewhere. And there was this big, I remember something being slid under my door, these flyers of yes. Billy Graham's no longer a Christian. I, mean, I, I remember don't even that. Know, but yes. it was kind of crazy. But my point in saying all of that, that was just sort of a, a, a trip down memory lane for a minute. But I think that you know, I feel like in the Protestant church, in this wide, um, you know, there, there's how many denom? I mean, hundreds, maybe even right. thousands of denominations, yes. right? Whereas the Catholic Church is so centralized that that when something happens there and it's exposed, it it has this kind of ripple effect throughout the denomination, yes. or it it um, ricochets, you know, culturally. Whereas, you know, within the Protestant mm -hmm. church, with so many different denominations, yes. I feel like we are so quick to point the finger at the Catholic church. And we should be pointing out the, yeah. the junk of the garbage, right. but there's so little consideration for the unbelievable amount of, of sexual abuse of children, abuse yes. of, of vulnerable people, wives, women, um, and others within the, within the non-Catholic church. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? So when the spotlight came out of the Catholic church, after all the abuse in the area of Boston was exposed. Yes. So I was a young pastor then. And I was like all those pastors, very quick to point out it's the Catholic Church. It's, you know, because of this doctrine or that doctrine. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that abuse is across the board. It's in every denomination. It's in the church. It's outside of the church. And it's everywhere, but it's so easy to point the finger someplace else. Yep. And what needs to happen in a church, you know, James talks about looking in a mirror. And then turning around, walking away, completely forgetting what manner of person yes. we are. And that's really what's happening in a lot of our churches. We briefly look in the mirror. Maybe it, maybe it's a, a news story about abuse within our denomination or one of the mission boards that we're involved in or we mm -hmm. support. But we tend to dismiss that as it's an isolated thing. And, and we're not seeing really what's happening under our noses in our own families and our own churches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like 
what's tragic, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier about this idea of holding someone's hand on their way to hell, yeah. is rather rather than enabling this kind of behavior, if if earlier on someone were held accountable for what they were yes. doing, or as a child when somebody is experiencing abuse, yes, and I often talk about what happened to me as a kid of the early pornography exposure that happened, but also the sexual behavior of much older neighborhood boys uh, than me, most of them. Yes. And, um, and the, the involvement that, that they dragged me into with that and how that was so damaging. And yet the most that mom and dad, and this wasn't their fault, but the most that mom and dad knew to say is, um, well, you just can't play with those boys anymore. Yeah. And, and, and that was the end of it, right? Like everything's yes. fixed, everything's all good, yes. but it wasn't, it was right. still, it was a wreck. Uh, things were, a, you know, a disaster for me internally. And yet what it did is it, it prompted me to shove everything down further and deeper yes. and, and not deal with, uh, not know how to deal with any of this stuff. So, so it winds up leaking out some way. It, it wound up for me, it, it really prompted what I know now that many, many uh, children growing up in church do, and that's to split off. It, it, so I, I have this image on the one hand of going to church and being in a Christian family and all that kind of thing. But inwardly, I became a porn addict. I Chronic masturbation was a, a massive issue in my yes. life. And, and while on the one hand, hating all of that, and yet on the other hand, feeling so compelled to live that out. So I, so I bring that back, though, to how sad it is that when we could actually hold someone accountable yes. and and cause kind of a, um, a reverberating effect throughout their whole system of, um, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? Right. Instead, when we when we actually ignore it or support them in it or, um, you know, move them to some other we cover it up for right. them. Right. We're actually doing this massive disservice because so often the enabling continues exactly. for years and decades and they're never confronted with their sin and it becomes so entrenched that they just become so dark and so yes. evil. Yes. And I, Faith and I were at a conference in Chicago a number of years ago and there was a speaker named Victor Veith who does a lot with the sexual abuse of children. And in the session that we were at, he was talking about youthful offenders. And he was saying that any kind of intervention when when an offender is a child, even if it's not the best intervention, but just intervention in general, yes, can make all the difference in the world in that child's life to turn them away from that behavior. And yet we have seen so many cases or heard of so many cases where let's say a mom finds out their son was molested and and he's four, five, six years old by another child a little bit older mm -hmm. the husband absolutely doesn't want it dealt with he doesn't want his wife to confront yep. the parents of the child he doesn't want the police called he just acts like it's no big deal and that's exactly what you're talking about we have a choice we can intervene when a, a child has been abused and we hear something there can be intervention it may not be perfect but there needs to be intervention right. and 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 hopefully some good counseling some good direction to help change the behavior, but being willing to talk about it. It's painful, it's awkward, it's difficult, but if we can talk about it, and, and this comes back to our churches, we need to talk about sex abuse of children and domestic violence from the pulpit so that people in the pews feel like if this is going on, 
I can say something to Absolutely. Pastor about it. I can talk to yep. some people about it. It's that silence and that secrecy that keeps victims imprisoned yep. in a in a cell that they stay in their whole life because they're never comfortable or feel like it's safe to share their story. Yep. It, it makes me so crazy going along with that topic. I, I was just speaking at a church this last weekend and I was recounting about, I don't always think to say this particular thing, but I, re I remember um, when I became an adult, finding out through a series of conversations with a couple of people that used to go to the church that we were at when yes. I was very, I was kind of born there. Uh, and that there was somebody there in that church who was doing some things that were beyond just questionable when it right. came to the youth area. But this person was also a porn addict. And, um, and there was, when I look back on that, I think how much I could have benefited by mm. not just knowing that someone is dealing with pornography, but frankly, right. if the church was a place where this adult could have could have come out in the open or even if they that he did yes. and that somehow there was communication about that that somehow that I as a kid yep. had somebody who had gone before me and was willing to say this is what this is how good God is that he gets into the the muck of our lives yep. into the mess of our lives and he can restore that could have given me yes incredible hope and then also giving me a path of someone I could have talked to or know that at least my pastor has dealt with this with this person and 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 I can go to them and talk man that could have completely yes. changed the trajectory of my life that in silence over the course of decades wound up in really dark and 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 damaging places even life-threatening places yes. when it comes to AIDS and HIV yes. and those kinds of things so uh, anyway I just the more that we can be conscious it kicking the can down the road right. does no favors for anyone. It's it's a cheap way. Oftentimes we think, oh, we don't want to hurt someone. We don't want to offend someone when actually, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of that that's true, but actually more than anything else, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to be the a-hole that deals with right. this stuff. Right. I don't want to be the one who exposes it. So I'm going to kick the can down the road. And meanwhile, I'm only allowing um, more darkness and more Correct. perversion to happen in a child's life or a young person's life. Yes. And, and so it, the cycle becomes generational from one generation to the next. I think one thing we have to do better at, and I, I put myself in this situation as a pastor, discerning between the wolves and the wounded. Yes. There is a big difference. I so think it's good. a little bit like the distinguishing between the difference between someone who struggles with drug addiction and the drug dealers. The, the wolves are there to destroy yes and they're jesus said they're ravenous wolves yes and they need to be put out of the church so the churches can be safe the people that are wounded the people struggling with drug addiction the people struggling with pornography the people struggling with the after effects of childhood sexual abuse or domestic violence i in early in my ministry i was guilty of condemning the wounded yep and I would label them as rebellious. Um, you know, they listen to the rock music and they, you know, yeah. um, all of this stuff that we label as bad behavior. And I'm convinced now that the vast majority of the young people and the young adults that are struggling with this stuff is because it's coming out of such brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be discerning um, as as believers and church leaders to minister to the wounded and hold the 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 wolves accountable, I think we have to put them out. And Jesus, 
In the Gospels, just before Jesus' crucifixion, there are two times he cleanses the temple. One after he starts his ministry, one just before his crucifixion. Mm. And in the Gospel account, where he throws the tables of money over and he drives the people out that were behind him, in the one Gospel account, it says, then the blind and the lame came in to be healed. Until we get the wolves out of the church, Mm. the church is not going to be a safe place for the wounded. Yeah, so good. Yeah, it's so good. And and I've known, I want to just stress here too, I've known a few, not many, but I've known a few people who were convicted of sexually offending a child, uh, a minor, and uh, had a label of uh, level one, two, or three, and and there were some that that I've I've known over the years that I've I think uh, entered into genuine repentance. Yes. And I, I think also of I'm thinking of Diane Langberg, who yes. of course is has been very much involved in AACC for years. I yes. think she was even the president of American Association of Christian Counselors. So she comes to mind as I'm sitting here yes. in this conference, and I remember um, her doing a. Uh, a recording on sexual abuse, which is something she talks about quite a bit. And I remember her referencing, I think it's in Ephesians, but I remember her referencing the passage that says, let him who steals, steal no more, but rather work with his hands that he may have something to give to those who are in need. And she said, obviously that is, that's talking about thievery of a, of a, of a natural sort. But she said, I I believe, and and it's been years ago, this is just coming to mind. And so I'm not quoting this exactly, but I remember her, the, the, concept of philosophy being that apply that to the person Correct. who has stolen yep. someone's innocence, who has stolen uh, what somebody can never get back yes. again. And when genuine repentance is involved, when a person really comes to, to genuine yes. faith, they don't just sit back and do nothing. They actually Correct. want to make restitution. Correct. They want to um, labor with their hands and have something that they can give to a person in need, even if it's a matter of funding the counseling that that, that, that exactly. person needs or whatever. So I think that when uh, when there is that repentance and it's genuine that per- a person isn't just putting on sheep's clothing and they're actually a wolf, but there's genuine repentance, they're going to want to do whatever they can yes. to 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 whatever degree that will be allowed in That's that correct. person's life. Correct. But even if they can't do anything there, they can still allow God to use their story. They can yes. still allow God to um, to use them and all that they can do for the benefit of the kingdom. And I think that's where you see uh, the evidence of fruit in keeping with repentance. Exactly. And I remember when we were in Bible college, one of our professors asked the class, he was going through that section of Ephesians 4, and he says, when does a thief stop being a thief? And we all said, when he stops stealing. Yes. He says, no, it's when he stops stealing, starts working and doing something that's good, working with his hands yep. what is good, that he may have to give to those in need. Now he's come full circle. Yes. When we're talking about somebody, because the spectrum on, on sexual abuse is very broad. There, there are children who are not only being abused, but in many cases, children who grew up in families that are forced to watch abuse. Yes. They are forced to participate in abuse. And there are so many layers to this. And Satan is so evil. Mm-hmm. And, and these kids are so broken and, and they don't know what to do. And Ephesians 4, that passage that you're talking mm-hmm. about, gives a beautiful 
process, a beautiful way to change behavior. Yes. It isn't enough to just try to stop. And I think sometimes, whether we're talking about a porn addiction, a drug addiction, a sex addiction, um, it's not enough to try to stop the behavior. And a lot of times you get caught in this, this vicious cycle of always trying to stop the behavior. You have to transform it. So you stop stealing, you start working, doing something that's good, and now you begin to have some money so you can help those in need. Yep. And for somebody who's been a sex abuser, they've abused in the past, maybe they're a husband who was verbally abusive to their kids. Mm -hmm. um, you and I grew up in a home where there was a, a lot of verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. And... Um, that's deeply damaging, but those things can change. And when we stop verbally abusing and we start, the, the proverb says that the power of life and death are in the tongue. Yes. So we stop speaking death and we start speaking life. Yes. Transformative baby. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. Well, I know that you and Faith uh, travel really around the country, uh, working with churches, Christian organizations, ministries, missions, yes. organizations, where where they either they want to get prepared and be ahead of the uh, the curve, which would be a, a nice change for you know the church to do in some yes. cases on in in this. Uh, arena uh, but oftentimes though responding to some area of brokenness that really has just erupted within the church so um what would you what would how would you describe kind of what you do what you guys love to do and how can pastors or um, churches organizations get in touch with you and also talk a little bit more you mentioned your book but talk a little bit more about that too so i think the three things that we try to do one of our presentation to try to summarize what we do is called understanding abuse, responding to abuse, and healing from abuse. Mm. So you want to go into churches and any Christian organization. I mean, we would go to a secular organization if God gives us that open door. Yep. But number one, help them to understand what's going on with abuse. Understand the incredibly negative, powerful impact it has on the victims. Better understand how prevalent it is. Better understand how this stuff happens under our very noses. Yes. It's happening sometimes in churches, even in the children's ministries. Um, so you're talking about grooming as well, right? Yes. Like what to, what to look for. Yeah. Yep. So understanding abuse, responding to abuse. The church has not done well in responding to abuse victims. Mm -hmm. So many times, well-meaning Christians re-victimize the victims. Yes. Um, so we try to help them with how, how do we, from a biblical standpoint, better respond to abuse. And, and then um, the whole, the broader issue of then healing from abuse. And we go through um, more geared to victims of abuse and what God has to say, God's mm -hmm. love for them. Abuse is never the fault of the victim. Mm -hmm. And it's something we've had grown men just break down sobbing. One of the events that you did at Family Life uh, a few years ago. Um, someone came up to us afterwards and an elderly gentleman just broke down sobbing mm. after Faith shared her story mm -hmm. and said, if you've been abused, it's not your fault. Yes. He had no idea that was coming and he just broke out yep. sobbing. Yep. And he said, I need to hear that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you uh, if they want to learn more about your ministry or connect with you guys or invite you to their, their church or organization? So our website is speakingtruthinlove.org. My cell phone number, 
542-0316, the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, we would love to come, whether it's a small group, uh, it can be a women's group, Faith can go and speak to a women's group. Um, it'd be ideal if we can get into a church on a Sunday morning. If a church wants to have a one-day seminar, yep. we can do that as well. Great. It's great. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Love and Truth Podcast. We're so glad that you were here. Hope that you found some really good information uh, here. I know that the things that my brother and my faith, my um, sister-in-law Faith are dealing with are so critical, so crucial to having whole and wholesome churches that are really cutting edge that are that are dealing with issues that are uh, alive today things that are damaging the church things that are damaging uh, families and people's lives we want to be equipped we want to be about the business of equipping the church to be better in all of these areas yes. and so Dale and Faith and Speaking Truth in Love Ministries is a great place uh, to to find that help and support in these specific areas so again thanks for joining us we look forward to seeing you in a future podcast blessings thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.